0: Chapters 21 and 22 of Life and Adventures of Jack Engle, an Autobiography by Walt Whitman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 21 Setting forth the Conduct of Mr. Covert when he found himself in a tight place. The foiled lawyer, the fox caught in a trap while he thought he had so nicely fixed traps for others. It was not an agreeable picture to look upon but I will portray it as I afterward learnt to my satisfaction the reality transpired. Covert did not know of Martha's departure till early in the morning, but then his suspicious soul immediately felt that something was wrong, and something serious, too. It was never the custom for Martha to leave the house in that way, and where had she to go without informing him? Sick before and now doubly sick with alarm he instinctively hobbled to what he supposed the safe repository of his valuable plunder supposed and yet had an indefinite sort of fear miserable pale wretch there was something in the electric shock of despair and baffled selfishness condensed in that first minute of confusion to revenge upon you the scores of villainies you had perpetrated, commencing with the swindle of the poor carpenter. That long life of lies and cheats for gain came like a flash before him, and now, after all, to be foiled. With trembling hands, his forehead running a chill sweat, the lawyer commenced turning out everything, Perhaps he had misplaced the precious documents, and they were there yet. He ransacked, high and low. He went over the search again, and dropping his cane, for he felt an unnatural strength suddenly come into his weakened veins, he began a systematic search through the room in its every part. He was desperate indeed. What chance was there? No matter. He finished that room? and then went over the next in the same manner, and then the next. At last he ascended to Martha's apartment. Her furniture and many of her things were there, as formerly, but it was evident that she had made a careful selection of what she most needed, and those articles were taken away. He called up the servant from the kitchen. She was a stupid, half-witted girl, the only help he kept in the place. She could give him no information, for she had been soundly sleeping when Martha departed. Obtaining a messenger, he sent down at once to the office for me to come up to his house. Far from being at the office, I had, when I put my hat on my head the evening before, taken an oath never voluntarily to enter its doors again. My days of studying law, I felt, might as well come to an end. And since these revelations, Ephraim Foster did not seem to entertain the old obstinacy that way. "'After all, Jack,' he had said that morning, "'I don't know, but I was too fast in pushing you to this sort of life. The Lord forgive me if you should lose your honesty by it.' I seriously assured him that I could not answer for myself, that I had already felt a sort of nibbling disposition in the points of my fingers." Covert's messenger was instructed, in default of me, to bring up Wigglesworth if he could be brought, or, as a last resort, the boy Nathaniel. Wigglesworth was on his deathbed, and thus it fell that my spirited young friend of the night before, whistling to his dog, coolly clapped his hat on his head and bade the messenger, whom he styled my son, although that personage was old enough to be his grandfather, go on before— and convey to Mr. Covert an assurance of his love, and that he would be with the good man forthwith. Nathaniel, who locked the door and carried the key in his hand, had much to attract his attention on his journey. In the first place he came round to me, according to a previous arrangement, and told me that he had been sent for and was going. "'And it's my opinion,' said Nat, "'that I shall take the opportunity to let the old boy into a piece of my mind.' "'I cautioned him against mentioning the whereabouts of Martha just at present. "'With respect to any further information, he might say as much as he liked. "'He took his walk very leisurely, "'except where there was a provoking chance to have a race with Jack. "'There were the theatre bills to read. "'These he perused with close attention from top to bottom.' there were various turn-outs in the street particularly every trim and stylish nag attached to a buggy or sulky the least bit of flash description of all the world such a possession was the envy and engrossing ambition of the boy's heart he strained his eyes then as far as the horse could be seen since he had grown a little older nathaniel was not so pugnacious as formerly and though he took an interest enough in any personal conflict that happened to fall under his attention he felt no more the old itching to take part in it himself unless were specially invited or called upon when nat arrived at mr covert's house he refused the girl's request to leave jack out in the front area unless his friend were admitted he nathaniel would not be persuaded to pass the door he was shown into the room and there he found himself face to face with Covert, and standing by the window were Ferris and the dandy Smythe. The feverish impatience of the lawyer could not be controlled, and fast upon the heels of the first messenger was dispatched a second with order for those two worthies. "'Where's Angle?" said Covert to the boy at once. "'As near as I can tell,' answered Nat, "'Mr. Engle is at his residence, or dwelling.' "'Wigglesworth, I hear, is very bad. No hopes of living.' Nat inclined his head. "'What's been going on at the office?' continued Covert, looking sharply at the boy. The young gentleman merely repeated the question. "'Yes. Who's been there? Why is Engle not there? Do you know anything of Martha? Have you heard anything?' The excited lawyer hurried question upon question and sat down breathless. "'Well, now,' said Nat composedly, "'I guess you are flustered. Martha has left you, hasn't she?' Covert sprung from his seat again and made as if he would seize Nat bodily. The dog bristled up and uttered a low growl. "'It'll do no good to get flustered,' continued Nat, I know Martha's gone as well as you do, and I know she'll never come back again, and I know Mr. Engle will never come back again, and what do you say if I tell you that I am going and she'll never come back again? It would be good riddance of an idle and impertinent young scamp, said Covert sternly, although he now suppressed any more violent evidences of passion, and motioned the boy to the door, for he saw that he was going to get nothing from him. Nat, after daintily placing the key on the table, retired with a mock bow, wishing the lawyer better judgment of people's characters, and hoping he would begin to pass a pleasant night as soon as it came dark. What passed in the conference between the three worthies who were left I never learned. That they were, to a great extent, implicated together in plans of villainy there is no doubt and thus were bound to afford each other mutual help in time of need. The rest of that day and during the night, while we were expecting every moment to hear something from Covert and wondering why we did not, there was bustle and activity about the lawyer's house. Pepperidge, Ferris, and Smythe were in and out, in and out again, several times making long journeys up and down from the house to the office and from the office to the house no help was called in from outside a few little purchases were left at the door where they were taken in by smythe and there was a noise of nailing up boxes and tumbling things from room to room at the closing of the afternoon of the day subsequent to nathaniel's visit the same young gentleman being then at leisure happened to circulate through the very street again and in front of covert's house which he passed by on the opposite side a carriage was waiting at the door, and the boy naturally stopped to see what it meant. Presently, down the steps came Mr. Covert, assisted by Ferris. He entered the carriage alone, and Nat saw that it was crowded with trunks and carpet-bags. Before the youngster well recovered from his astonishment, the driver was up on his box, and the hack dashed away at a rapid rate. Ferris deliberately ascended the steps, locked the door— tried it again to see if it was all right, went down and tried the basement door also, stood a moment on the walk in front, and scanned the tightly closed blinds, and then walked musingly away. Nat was at his wit's end to find a clue to Covert's destination, for the sharp-witted youth knew that I would in all probability be anxious to know. He accosted the woman of a little shop in front of the spot whence he had observed these movements— but all that she knew, notwithstanding her curiosity, had also been on the alert, was that a big cart full of trunks and well-packed articles, taken away two hours before, was destined for the Albany boat. Nat sprang off at a venture for the pier region downtown, in hopes of getting further information. And never had Jack been more perseveringly rivaled in the race than this pleasant hour in the decline of the afternoon." The boy was too late to reach the boat. He saw the carriage, however, and promptly stopping the driver, who had deposited his passenger on board the steamer some fifteen minutes before, he learned that the trunks of that bilious and wrinkle faced man, who seemed laboring under a restless excitement, and spoke so faintly, and trembled so much, were marked not only for Albany, but for a distant town in Canada. And covert, HE HEARD ASKING ONE OF THE CLERKS OF THE BOAT, HOW LONG IT WOULD NECESSARILY TAKE HIM TO REACH THAT PLACE, THE BEST MEANS OF GETTING THERE, AND THE SHORTEST POSSIBLE TIME. YES, THE ENEMY FAIRLY FLED, AND LEFT US IN POSSESSION OF THE FIELD, AND, STRANGE AS IT MAY APPEAR, WE NEVER HEARD ANYTHING DEFINITE FROM OR ABOUT COVERT AFTER THAT DEPARTURE. WE NEVER EVEN KNEW WHETHER HE REACHED HIS DESTINATION ALIVE. As to Pepperidge, Jarvis, and Smythe, they doubtless had good reasons for keeping close tongues in their mouths. They would not favor the numerous anxious inquirers after their old friend with a single item of explanation, but swore that they didn't know what became of the runaway any more than other people. CHAPTER Twenty-Two, IN WHICH WE ALL GET TO THE END OF THE JOURNEY, THE HISTORY OF MY ADVENTURES DRAWS TO ITS CONCLUSION. I have not much more to tell, and that I will dispatch quickly. It was natural enough that the love which had its rise in my mind toward the young Quakeress should take a course usual in such matters, but I forego the infliction of a courtship on whoever has travelled with me thus far. My attachment was returned, and, in the few months after the last of the events already recorded, Violet, much to her satisfaction, gave my wedding supper to a few choice friends. The investigations of Wigglesworth had been so thorough, and he had so completely noted down, with date and volume and page, and every other particular, the links in the chain of evidence to substantiate the truth of Martha's rights, and of the history, as far as was needed in law, that has been narrated in the foregoing chapters, of the father and his death together with his will and disposition of his property all these were so minutely detailed and substantiated by references to authentic records of the courts and other unquestionable data that we found no difficulty in settling the whole matter to our satisfaction martha had no near relative and the few distant ones of whom she had heard and her being taken charge of by mrs Covert, who seems to have been the very antipodes of her husband. Even those far-away connections had lost sight of her, and she was left to depend much upon the good lady who, through her most helpless years, acted as her best friend and protector. The very means which the lawyer had hit upon to carry out his own wicked designs proved ultimately to be in our favour. I allude to the turning of so much of Martha's property into bonds and paper, as more convenient for transportation or concealment. The valuable bills and documents we had, in the manner before stated, secured possession of. That Covert made no attempt against his former ward after her flight is not perhaps surprising. He knew that she now had devoted friends, and that a legal investigation would result in an unavoidable exposure not at all to his credit. Besides, this would in all likelihood draw in its train other investigations and exposures involving his schemes in conjunction with Ferris. To dismiss him here, I will add that from his distant Canada residence we never had any positive intelligence of him, and were satisfied best that it was so inez for the few days that martha stayed with her showed all her natural goodness and generosity was it stopped a little when she saw with female quickness the sentiment that had grown up between martha and myself if so it made no difference in her treatment of the quakeress and she was one of the liveliest of the merry company at my wedding supper whether mr thomas peterson consoled the excellent and really fine-hearted girl i cannot aver of my own knowledge but it was evident that they rapidly became great friends with one another with the advance of the season too inez was busy in her preparations for a professional tour she having engagements that way this tour engrossed her time and attention and proved i understand a very profitable one tom peterson's friendship the noble and always welcome young man, has not been lost to me by marriage. He is much engaged in his trade as a machinist, which he is enthusiastically fond of, and he has become invaluable to the proprietors of the large establishment where he was foreman. The establishment is now merged in the property of a company with far greater capital, and the business much enlarged and perfected, tom being advanced to a station of still greater confidence and trust with a handsome salary to back it although this responsible post fills up his time pretty well tom finds leisure of a sunday to come out in the stage to the cottage where we for i cut any further connection with the law have settled ourselves at a little distance from the city and where we spend the summer may your life be sunshiny tom peterson and the end of it a long while away ephraim foster and violet are well satisfied with all these developments as indeed they are not easily induced to worry themselves with the course of affairs so long as they have their health and a good living and see their friends in the enjoyment of the same blessings that beautiful philosophy what a pity it is that we do not see more of it in this world of more imaginary than real troubles, great as the latter are. Ephraim, although years have passed with him since the period when he is first introduced in this narrative, is about the same old two-and-sixpence. He sticks to his provision and grocery store, which, as I remarked in a previous chapter, has superseded the original milk and sausage line, and laughs at me when I propose to him to accept any pecuniary help and retire from public life no that he will not do at present nor violet either they are very well satisfied the employment just suits them and the income is neither more or less than they want and although no trust yet hangs up printed in white letters on a little dingy green board over the counter ephraim and violet do trust not only as much as in the early days but a little more Whenever the family is poor, or the father or mother sick, or when the appeal comes, as it often does from a helpless widow, or even the wife of an intemperate husband, then neither does Ephraim put on a frown, nor violet look the other way. The basket is silently heaped up, and there is no sulkiness to take away the blessing of the deed. Thus do these two cast their bread upon the waters, in faith and true charity and all they make no sanctimonious professions will they not find it again returned to them after many days violet i think grows really beautiful as she approaches the latter part of middle age she is still as stout strong and healthy as ever and most important fact of all which i ought to have jotted down before during the years that i have been recording the events of the past narrative has presented her lord and master with two hardy boys one of whom is six and the other three years old the biggest being named jack angle foster the advent and growth of these plump and jolly little fellows however and the interest taken in them by father and mother never subtracted a particle from my own portion and as to master jack who always showed a tenacious attachment to me he spends nearly the whole summer at our cottage i looked forward at an early date to the privilege of introducing him to some additional society the young gentleman indeed teases me now and then on this subject and asks me whether i will not hurry and make that little playfellow for him i have no way of answering except to assure the child that i will do my best and that i confidently promise the gift to him in due time the persevering youngster then asks me whether it has already begun, and will only be satisfied with my direct assertion to that effect. Nathaniel, too, and his canine friend, are occasionally among my visitors. Nat grows in grace daily, and has found a much better situation than the one he held in Covert's office. He will make a fast man, this Nat, when he grows big enough. Calvin Peterson adheres faithfully to his professions, and continues to exercise his lungs at the revival meetings. I have before remarked that Calvin is a sincere worshipper in his own way, and that's more than can be said of many of the children of the church. Fitzmore Smythe and Ferris, sometime afterward, commenced business under the firm of Ferris and Company, Brokers. The last I heard of them was, through a paragraph in the paper, in which they were hauled up before a police court, at the suit of a returned Californian for some semi-swindling. They paid their fine, quietly took the rebuke of the judge, and kept on as before. Barney and Nancy Fox regularly create an addition to the census with each recurring year. Barney, since he got started, has grown into a man of means and importance. He is a thorough hand at electioneering, and possesses some advantages not commonly enjoyed in that profound science there is even talk of putting barney in nomination for quite an important municipal office madame seligny almost on the heels of covert's sudden departure went abroad she said for the purpose of taking possession of an inheritance what truth there was in that part of the story i know not but rebecca accompanied her and that forever broke up the pleasant intimacy between tom peterson and the pretty jewess with everything promising fair for a life of health and comfort though no one can tell what the future may bring forth with blessings on my lot and on those who have stood my friends when i most needed them with good humor toward all the world a heart full of satisfaction and pockets that do not flutter from lightness Jack Engel here closeth the narrative of his life and adventures. End of chapter 22. Recording by Margaret Espionat. End of Life and Adventures of Jack Engel, an Autobiography by Walt Whitman.